If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 is where we'll be. To apologize to our sound guys upstairs. I was muted. First time I was up here. They were running around frantically. What is going on? I had it on mute. That's what was going on. Didn't turn it off. So I apologize for that. We get to Ephesians 5 today, just looking at two verses. The first two verses. A lot of people will put these two verses with what we did last week. And so hopefully you'll have that in mind. Uh, reason being is the first word there you see is therefore. And so it means you need to know uh, what comes before that. It's important. But verses 1 through 2 is our, is our focus for this morning. Follow along with me as I read those two verses. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Two very difficult verses for us to follow. Remember, we've been talking to us who like to do things, us doers who want to have lists. And today's list, today's task as you leave is to imitate God himself. What a task. Hard to do. Hard to follow that. Let's try to grasp, though. Let's try to get in our minds what's, what that means. And so today is a little bit different of a flow. Because I want us to try to think about what does that mean that God loves us? Because it tells us to walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up, right? And we're going to get to that as well. Jesus' love for us. But that phrase is used a lot about God loving people, God loving us. And so I want us to really uh, think about that today and hopefully get a good grasp of what that, what that means. If we go all the way to the very beginning of our Bible in the book of Genesis, we see that the, the book of Genesis tells us that God creates. Uh, that God is a creator and that he has created everything. He's created all things. And as you get to Genesis chapter 2 and also part of 3 as well, that he creates man. He creates us. He creates human beings. So God creates all of this. He creates man. And the Bible tells us that he puts man into a garden that, that God has created. And he tells the man to enjoy it, to take care of it, and to, and to enjoy it. Now, there are some rules that God gives of certain things not to eat in the garden. But he, he tells this to Adam. He says, enjoy this. Take, take care of this. But there was still an issue because Adam was alone, the Bible says. And so God, in his love for Adam, says, created a helpmate for Adam. And you can read that account there in Genesis. And we see that Eve is then created. And the Bible tells us that the two become one flesh. And why does God do this? Well, God does this for the good of Adam. He does this for the good of man. And God does this because he loves them. He loves them. And so we, we see this love of God very, very early in the Bible. But then we have a problem, don't we? Genesis 3 comes around. And so as we get to Genesis 3, we start to read that Adam and Eve took it upon themselves to disobey God, to disobey the rule that God had given them of not eating of a, a certain tree. And they choose to do that. Yes, they are deceived by the serpent, by Satan himself, but they still sin, and this sin is on them. And we see in Scripture that this sin disrupts everything. 
that all things become disrupted as a result of this sin. And the Bible tells us when it comes to sin that sin is rebellion against God. That is what sin is. Isaiah 1-2 tells us, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. So as Adam and Eve sin, what they are doing is they are rebelling against God, the one that created them, the one that they know loved them. The Bible tells us that God would walk with them in the evenings and talk with them. And there was this sweet fellowship between Adam and Eve and God, and it all gets disrupted because they sin against God. And what we learn as we study that is they actually wanted to be equal with God. They had a problem kind of being subordinate. They felt, you know, God's all this knowing, all knowing. We want to know these things. So they rebel against God. In all reality, as you start to understand Scripture better, this, this should be the end of the book. We should have Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, sin happens, and either the end of Genesis 3 or the beginning of Genesis chapter 4 should say, and God said, forget it. I mean, that's what it should say. He wiped it out, got rid of everything, over because sin equals death. And so they got what they deserved. But you know we don't have that. The book's a lot bigger than that. There's a lot more that happens. It keeps going. Well, why? Well, simply out of God's love. That's why it keeps going. God gives chances. God gives forgiveness. God deals with sin. And so we see mankind continue to grow. We continue to read in Genesis. You get to Genesis chapter 6, and we read the account of Noah that many of us know very well, that we love to teach to our children. But what had happened is mankind had become so evil that God had decided enough was enough. And he was going to get rid of everybody except for Noah and Noah's family. And so God does this. God sends a flood. And all of mankind is destroyed except for this Noah and his family who are on the ark that God had told them to make and told them exactly how to make it. And so again, even though mankind is so evil, we still see God in his love and in his kindness preserving. We still see this love of God at least preserving one family so that mankind can continue to go on. Well, as you continue to read Genesis, you'll eventually fall into Genesis chapter 12. When you get to Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to a man named Abraham. And we see the love of God on Abraham, that God would call Abraham out of where he lived. He would send him away, but he tells Abraham in his covenant with Abraham that he is going to be a father of many nations. We see this in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Why does God do this? Love. Again, it's his love that is driving this whole story forward. It's what continues to run throughout all of scriptures that I hope to show you this morning, but we definitely still see it all the way to Abraham. It's the love of the father that continues to do this. So now that he calls out a man, Abram, who goes to Abraham, later named Abraham, and says, from you, all the nations will be blessed. And so this is the promise that God gives for the future of mankind, the promise of a blessing. 
As you continue to read in Genesis, you see the line of Abraham begin to grow. We see the story of Isaac. We see the story of Jacob. We see the story of Joseph. And Joseph then eventually leads the people into Egypt. And Joseph takes care of all the people and all the land because there's a famine, right? And so we see Abraham's family end up in, in Egypt. And that's kind of how Genesis ends. But then we have the sadness of the fact that it says the pharaohs in Egypt kind of forget of why the Israelites were there. They forget of what Joseph had done. And so they take Israel into slavery and into bondage and they force them to work. And so for 400 years this happens. Israel's slaves, maybe even beginning to ask, I thought God loved us. I, I thought God chose our father Abraham and we were going to be blessed. This doesn't feel like a blessing. But then we hear of a man named Moses. How God raises up Moses and how God calls Moses to, to free Israel from the hands of Pharaoh. And so as we read the account of Moses, we see how God uses Moses and how God then redeems Israel. He redeems them from Egypt. He redeems them from Pharaoh. And what does he do? He proves his love to Israel in this, saying, I have not forgotten you. I love you. I care for you. And he does this in a way where Israel doesn't even have to pick up a weapon for one second. He does it all. He fights every single battle for them, so much so that the Bible tells us when they leave Egypt, they plunder Egypt. The Egyptians are handing them all of their wealth as they walk out of the land. This is the work that God has done for Israel. Why? Because he loved them. As they go out into the wilderness, we see that God gives the people the law. He gives the people the sacrificial system. Now, some might say, man, that was not an act of love in giving them the law. Because when we see Paul, it says, apart from law, I wouldn't have known it was sin. But no, we see God's great grace and the fact that he is showing his people who he has called, saying, this is my standard. This is my standard. This is what you need to live up to. Too, but he's so gracious and kind to them that he knows they're not going to live up to that standard. So then he also gives them the sacrificial system to deal with their sin so that they can actually have a relationship with him. Now, why is that so important for God? Why does God even want to have a relationship with mankind? Love. He loves them. He wants to have a relationship with his people. And so he tells them exactly how this is going to be done. And he promises them great blessings if they continue to obey him, if they continue to follow him. Again, he makes a way for their sin to be dealt with through the blood of bulls and goats and, and birds and all these different offerings. And you can read all about that uh, in Leviticus and in numbered these different places. It's in there. We also see that with the Israelites and leading them out of Egypt, God doesn't just like throw them a map and say, go. The Bible tells us that God's presence is with them, that God resides with them, and in a cloud during the day guides them everywhere that they should go. And at night, it's a pillar of fire that leads his people. We have this picture of God leading his people to the land that he has in store for them. Again, because of his love for them. As you continue to read, you see Moses, you see Joshua. It ends up getting to the judges. God has for his people different judges. Some of these are good people. Some of these end up being bad people. But yet God is always there with his people all the time. Israel then asked for a king, even though God said he would be their king. So and in rebellion, just like their father Adam, 
In rebellion, they say, we want a king. God, you're not a good enough king for us. Now again, the story should end. Fine, forget you then. Enough is enough. But no, he gives them a king. And so we see King Saul, who God chooses for Israel. But then King Saul becomes just unworthy of the throne. And so God ends up rejecting King Saul. And then this is when we see King David come into the picture. And God chooses David. And the Bible tells us that David is a man after God's own heart. And if you look in 2 Samuel chapter 7, you'll see that God promises David something very similar to what he promised Abraham. He makes a covenant with David saying, your line, your kingdom will never end. Pointing us to the fact that the true king one day is going to come from the line of David. It's not David. But it's going to come from the line of David. And so God, again, is establishing his covenant with this people. And now particularly through David. There's going to be a king, a true king, that will come and that will rule forever. There'll be no more needs for a new king and a new king because of all these deaths. There will be no more death in this person. And they will rule forever after this. If you continue reading a scripture, you'll see the raising up of prophets of God who speak for God. They speak the word of God to the people. Oftentimes when you read these prophets, what they are doing is they are declaring the people's sin to them, saying you need to repent, you need to turn back to God. And sometimes Israel's good at that, other times they're not. So sometimes you read in the prophets, I've been going through the book of Ezekiel, and it's kind of depressing. You're going to be destroyed, chapter after chapter after chapter. This is what's going to happen to you because you have not obeyed. You have disobeyed. You have disobeyed in the prophets of God declaring this. But what we see in this is we still see the love of God because God doesn't just be quiet. He continues to speak to his people and to tell them what they are doing wrong, to tell them what they are doing correctly. Well, as you get past the prophets, we have a time of silence And then we get to the New Testament and a man by the name of Jesus is born. So very early on in the New Testament, we're introduced to this man, Jesus, and it's told to us that he's not just a man, but he's a man who was born of a virgin who is the child of God. This is what we hear of this man, Jesus. We we get to read about his life and we see that in his life there was no sin at all. Now think about that. Try to grasp that. No sin in his mind, in his thoughts, in his attitudes, in his actions. He is completely unstained from sin, completely. Yet, when we read about his life, we see very early on in John, John chapter 3, we can go to John three sixteen, Again, a verse that we take for granted, but a verse that tells us Again, about that line that's running through Scripture about the love of God that he has for us. Because it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would just believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. This Son is Jesus, the unstained one, the the perfect one. In God's greatest act of love for all of man, for mankind, what does he do? He sacrifices his Son for sinners. He allows his perfect son to die. Now, I know how difficult that has to be when we really think about it. For all of you, your kids are not unstained from sin. 
They're not perfect. They mess up probably way more than you even think they, they do. But I dare say you would not give your child up for me. You wouldn't give your child up for somebody else's child. Shoot, it hurts you to death when they start in some game over your kid. You have many excuses of why that shouldn't happen. It is an affront. But to think that God Almighty, the creator of all things, that we've rebelled against, that he would send his son to die in our place is just astounding. And why? Why did he do it? Did he do it to prove us wrong? Did he do it to shove it in our face? No, he did it. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves us. He loves his church. This story really is the biggest tragedy in all of history. Jesus did not deserve to die. Justice is such a hot-button topic right now. You want to talk about something unjust, you look at the cross. He absolutely did not deserve to be there. But he was there because God the Father loves you. That's how much he loves you. Well, that's talking about God the Father. But Jesus displayed his love for us also. I already read some of this this morning, but in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I want to stop there real quick because this is very familiar to what we've been talking about in Ephesians. Telling us to be united in Christ and to do all these things well, he's saying this here in Philippians as well. But what's our motivated, motivating factor here in Philippians? He goes on to say it. Have this, my, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him that the, name, the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We say, well, how much did Jesus love me? Well, Jesus loves you so much that being in the form of God, he did not count it equality to be with God and like God. And so what does he do? He humbled himself. He humbled himself and he became a servant. Why did he become a servant? He became a servant so that he could come and so that he could die for you. In your place. This is how much love Jesus has for the church. He willfully goes to the cross because he knows it is the will of the Father. <clears throat> And so he willfully walks that road to Golgotha. He willfully lets them nail him to a cross. 
If you want more imagery, I would encourage you to read Genesis 22 this afternoon. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's the story of God giving Abraham a son that has been promised for so long. Abraham's 100 years old. And when Isaac gets to an older age, maybe like 12, 13 years old, Abraham's 113. And what does God tell him to do? I want you to go kill Isaac. Make a little altar. I want you to put him on there, and I want you to stab your son. He's going to be sacrificed to me. That picture that we have with Abraham and Isaac. Now, if you read the story of Abraham and Isaac, it doesn't happen. God provides a ram in a thicket, tells Abraham to stop, says, do not kill your son. There's a ram over there. Go sacrifice that to me instead. I see your faithfulness. But yet, when we see the cross, it's never stopped. There's no ram in a thicket. There's no scapegoat to go push away. There's no time when the heavens break open and the Father declares, stop, enough is enough. I see, Jesus, you're obedient, that's good enough. You would have done it. We don't have that. What we have is we have Jesus going to the cross and letting them kill him. Why? Because the love he has for the Father and the love the Father has for you. We see this love and his sacrifice for our sin. In Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 26, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The word propitiation is used there. And Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to go to the cross to appease the wrath of God in your place. The wrath of God that you should face for your sin. The discipline that you should experience. The death that you and I should experience. Jesus appeased in his death for me, for you. That's what that word propitiation means. He satisfies God's wrath for us. Jesus did this for God's children who by faith believe in him. The question that remains after hearing all of this, and I'd encourage you to study it for yourself, is where do you stand in this? If you're here this morning and you've never really fully trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, I really think there's two things for you to think about. First of all, if that's you this morning, number one, you must be willing to admit and recognize that God does love you in some way. James 1.17 tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, the fact that God lets you breathe right now is a good gift he's given you. The fact that you were able to get out of bed, the fact that your life continues to go is a good gift that he has given to you. To, to be frank, you don't deserve. I don't either. But you don't deserve that but yet he does it for you. God continues to let you enjoy his creation. 
He continues to let you eat of the things that he has made grow. The things that he waters and lets fruit come forth. God lets you continue to do that. You have to admit, even if you're not a Christian this morning, that God allows some good things for you. But I think, secondly, you have to understand, and I hope you do, the Bible tells us that today, if by faith you will believe in Jesus, he will save you. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's good news for you this morning if you've never trusted in him, is you can. You can. That invitation is made to you. We as a church pray that God will speak to you, that God will open your eyes to that truth, that he will soften your hard heart so that you will say, I believe in Jesus fully. I believe he died for me on the cross and my sin is forgiven because it's through him. That's our prayer for you this morning. You don't have to go fix yourself first. In Romans chapter five, verse six through eight, it tells us, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's no need for you this morning, if, if you've never trusted in Jesus, there's no need for you to say this. I'll do it next week because I got some things I need to settle first. I got some things I need to work on so that I can come approved by God. <laughs> there's no approving yourself. Christ has been approved for you. At just the right time, Jesus died for sinners. That time for you could be right now. If by faith you would believe and trust in him. The Bible tells us he will save you. Now for those of us in here this morning who have trusted in Jesus, and you know this, you know that he has saved you. Then Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is for you. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, if you're in that first group I was talking to, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is not for you. You do not leave this morning holding this weight on you at all. You do not have to imitate God, and there's a very simple reason for it. You're not his child. You can't. But for those of us who have been saved by God's grace today, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is for us. And so we are told very clearly, be imitators of God. And so the charge that we have then as children of God is to remember that God loved you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his only son for you, for the church. We must love in that way also. We must imitate him. We must be willing to love the church in the way that he has, willing to do whatever is needed to love each other well. And this is a huge task. I know that. I said that at the very beginning. This is a tall task for us. Now, please know, I think you do, we can't save anybody. Uh, we can't imitate God in that way where we can redeem people. And that's not our task. But we are called to love people. And remember, Paul is specifically writing to the church, and that's why I want to make it very pointed. We are called to love each other here in this room the people who are a part of this church family that God has put us with, we are called to continually love each other. 
1 John 3, 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. But John keeps writing. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is what we are called to do, as we are called to imitate God by living out what we have been studying. Ephesians 4, verse 32, where it talks about you as a church need to have kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another. This is how we imitate our Father. We show mercy to people. And this is what Paul's been getting at all along in talking about the new self. The old self is gone. The new self has come. Well, what is the new self? The new self is God. We imitate God. We live our lives how God has shown us he loves us. That is what we then do for each other. And why? Well, as beloved children. We do this because we know we are a child of God. Parents, I'm sure you've seen how your children imitate you. They pick up the words you say. They pick up your mannerisms. They laugh like you laugh. The things that annoy you the most about your children is because of you. They're like you. Drives you crazy. And you see it. You, you know this to be. Sometimes we love this about our kids. We see it. Sometimes, like I said, we, we don't like this. But why do they do that? Well, they're, they're of your blood. They have your DNA. And they live with you every day. They see how you talk. They see how you act. They see your mannerisms. They see how you go about life all the time. And what then happens just naturally? They imitate it. That's how we learn. They imitate it. They think, well, this is how dad does it. This is how mom does it. This must be how it's supposed to be done. And so they then imitate you because they are your child. It's the same way with the children of God. We imitate our father because he's our father. The Bible tells us that through faith in Christ, we become children of God. This is in Galatians 3, 23 to 29. Last set of scripture I'll read for us this morning. It says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. How much does God love you? Way back when, when he talked to Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make many nations out of you. You as a Christian, as a believer, someone who's been saved by God's grace, you were thought of in that line. Your father is Abraham. All the way from the very beginning in Genesis, God had a plan that included you to be his child. That's how much he loves you. 
It took a lot to get you there. A lot of things to study in Scripture. It took the death of the Son of God. But you as a Christian this morning can say, but it's all been worth it for me. Because God has saved me through the blood of Christ and I am now a child of God. Paul keeps going. Verse two, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering, a fragrant sacrifice to God. We're called to be imitators of God because we are children of God. And then Paul says, walk in love like Jesus did. We walk in obedience to the Father, as was read in Philippians. Jesus walked in obedience. We must walk in obedience to the thing that God calls us to. But also we see that the way that Jesus loved was very unselfish. He obeyed the Father's every command unselfishly, unlike Adam and Eve who were selfish. Jesus died for our sins. He took it all. Even though we deserved it, he died for our sins. He did this to prove how unselfish he really was. We as a church family, I don't care where you're sitting, if you're a part of this church family, this then is how we love each other. We love each other in a way that, to be honest, you don't deserve and I don't deserve. I need to love you even when you don't deserve it. Why? Because that's the example that has been laid before me from my Father. It's the example that has been laid before me from Jesus himself. Though I'm angry at you, though I'm frustrated at you, though maybe you haven't shown me much love at all whatsoever, the fact is, that doesn't matter. I must love you. Because God tells me to. And you the same for the people you're sitting by. We love each other unselfishly. Even though I know that it will cost me to love you well, let it be. You say, but pastor, it's so hard. I don't have the time to do this and to, to love them well. Or, you know, it's going to cost me a lot of money to really go and help this family out. I know my investment when I go and help this, this brother or sister, it's going to be so emotionally draining for me. Let it be. Uh, that's not what we're asked to do. We're not asked to get a list and say, what are the pros and cons of loving this person here? We're simply told, you love them, regardless of what takes place. You, you love them, no matter what it takes. And I can promise you this. If we, as Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, actually love each other like this, if, as we imitate God and care for one another, as, as we act like children of God and imitate our Father, and as we walk in love just like Jesus walked in love, I can guarantee you this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, our community will take notice of what's going on here. It won't be because of some big billboard out on the street or some LED sign that we have that you can't even read until you get two feet from it. It's not going to be because of some campaign that we put on Facebook or in the newspaper. What will make the biggest impact is as we imitate God that we're called to do within this body, I promise you, the world will take notice. And by the world, I mean our world. The people outside these walls. They will wonder, why are those people so willing to sacrifice so much for one person? The answer is simple. They're part of the body of Christ. 
We're called to do it. They're our brother and sister in the Lord, and so we love them. Yeah, but you mean every day after work you have to go sit with them? Yeah. Don't you get tired? Oh my gosh, yes. Do you really like them that much? Not really. But I do it because I love them, just like my father loves me. I'm not saying that we do a bad job at this, and I don't want you to take it that way. I think we do see this in our church, where we love each other, but I think we can always do better. I know I can do better at this. If God really loves me this much, then I need to imitate that and love my church family as much as my Father loves me. Listen, you're going to fail. You're going to fall short. There's going to be times when you disappoint somebody in the body of Christ or whatever it might be. But the good thing is, it doesn't mean I'm not a child of God anymore. It's not me keeping me in this family. It's the blood of Christ that brought me in, and you can't get me out. And I can't get you out. And I can't get myself out. And so as we mess up, as we fall short with each other, this is where we see us imitating our Father. I say, that's okay. I still love you. That's, that's okay. I love you. I got this. Don't worry about it. I care for you. Let us be faithful to imitate our Father and to walk as Jesus has walked. Let's bow together. Let's pray this morning. God, as we come across Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we could easily just glance by these two verses. But God, in these two verses, there is so much there. God, we struggle to imitate you as our Father. God, we still sin. We still fall short. We still allow our pride, our selfishness, our arrogance to get in the way of the things that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have called us to. God, forgive us of that. God, help us to love each other well. Help us to look to what Jesus has done for us and to imitate that. To not have the excuses that we always try to throw around like, oh, I'm just, I'm just so busy. But understand, we, we all have the same amount of time. And yes, we might have busy schedules, we might have things to do, but it doesn't stop us from being able to love each other, to care for one another. Because God, your word tells us as we do that, what we will see happen is we will see the Great Commission start to happen as well. We will see people coming to know you as their Lord and Savior. We'll see people taking notice of what's happening within this body of Christ, of how they love each other sacrificially, how they care for each other. We will see how contrary to the world it really is. God, that it comes from you. And so, God, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts and in our minds. Give us the strength that we need to love each other well. Help us to be willing to be hurt where we need to be. To love our fellow brother or sister in the Lord well. God, I pray for those people here this morning as we were talking, going through uh, the scriptures. There's people here this morning who, maybe for the first time this morning, really began to understand or hear 
what you have done for them, how much you love them, and how you would send your son Jesus to die in their place. God, I pray that you would uh, break their heart of stone, that you would help them to see that truth, that they would submit their lives to you, seeking that forgiveness of sin that you will give to them through Jesus. God, I pray that you would do that work here this morning. God, as we sing this last song, help us to respond to your word how we should. Help us to think about what your word says, to imitate you as beloved children, walking in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. God, we want our lives to be that as well. A living sacrifice for you, as it says in Romans. Honoring you, loving you, being willing to sacrifice everything for you. God, give us the boldness and faith to do such a thing, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.